0: Hello everybody, Andrew Gamson here. Just want to welcome you to this edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. It's my privilege each week to come to you with a weekly dose of encouragement for this journey that we call the Christian life. As you well know, the Christian life is not a sprint, but a marathon. And so as we are marathoning together, we need to be encouraged. And I hope that's what you'll find as you are listening today. If you had the privilege of listening last week, then you recall that we had the first part of my inspiring interview with Jamie Freeman. Jamie is a gentleman with cerebral palsy, and he is living a victorious life because of what Jesus Christ has done in and through him, and I'm really excited for you to hear the balance of this conversation. Today our conversation deals with the importance of using our work ethic to show our testimony of Christ, and also the importance of instead of leaning into a skill set and offering your skill set to God, what He really wants is your weakness. And the the main premise behind that is the fact that we are all weak, and so it's only in admitting our weakness that God can make us strong. And so I hope you'll stay tuned for the balance of that conversation But before we get into that, let's talk about what is going on. Well, on June 6, 2022, we celebrated the 78th anniversary of D-Day.
1: Flying along the French coast, American veterans. That's amazing. Really amazing. Some who have not been back here since it looked... And sounded like this. D-Day, 78 years ago, today.
2: This is Robert St. John in the NBC Newsroom in New York. This is a momentous hour in world history. This is the invasion of Hitler's Europe.
1: Today, a hero's welcome for the greatest generation.
3: We have Walter Stoll, U.S.
1: Navy! Walter Stowe, like so many at the time, doctored his birth certificate to join the military when he was 15 years old. How do you feel to be here, sir? Uh, humbled and astonished and uh, grateful. Hitler's Nazi Germany had occupied France for four years. The massive D-Day invasion liberated France and eventually Europe. But the cost was steep. We'll see you on the beach. As depicted in the movie Saving Private Ryan... On this beach alone, codenamed Omaha, in just 24 hours, 3,000 casualties. Along the 50 mile coast, D-Day cost the U.S. and our allies more than 4,400 lives. Salute. Present arms. Almost twice the number of Americans who died in Afghanistan over a span of 20 years. What's it feel like putting your shoes back on this sand?
2: <laughs> it's eerie. It's eerie to be here? It is. It, it is very
1: eerie oh, yeah. to be here. Jake Larson waded to shore in water up to his chin. I said, God, what am I doing here? What the hell? I can't
2: see anybody to shoot at. But I ran. I weighed 120 pounds at, at five foot seven. And I said, thank God the Germans aren't good at shooting toothpicks. Uh, Honestly, I was thinking that
1: At 99, Jake now shares his message on Yes, TikTok You TikTok fans you, You just keep me going Social media fame Allowing Jake to ensure Those who died defeating Hitler Are not forgotten I feel their presence
2: right now Their souls are right here witnessing this. And what are they telling us? They're telling me, thank you, Jake. Thank you for coming and, and telling the world that th- this is where we were killed.
1: And if we call you a hero?
2: No, I'm, I'm not the hero. I'm here to tell you that the heroes
1: are buried over here. Here in Normandy, no matter age, everyone knows what america did for their freedom
0: i think they're brave um courageous and nice
2: the message is protect our freedom honor these heroes that have given their life at a young age honor these people don't honor me give the message
0: that makes me very emotional um when I realize the sacrifices that were made on behalf of this country and the peace and safety that I can live in because of the sacrifice of these men, um, I can never repay it. And I just want to point out a couple things that it seems like people overseas in Normandy, France, may have a better grasp on what American freedom means than many people here in America. That young boy understood and has been taught correctly in his school what was done for him and accomplished for him on the beaches of Normandy that day. So many people complain about the selfishness of our country when we get into wars. And I'm not going to sit here today and argue that every time America has gone to war, they've done it with the greatest motives. We've made mistakes. We have black marks on our history. But the bottom line, folks, is that D-Day turned the war and was a key to ending World War II and to liberating Hitler's Europe. Because of what the U.S. and the British and other allies did that day, we live in freedom today. And I think it's so important for us to study our history so that we understand the sacrifice that was made. We are losing this generation. There are a few of these World War II veterans left. You heard in that piece... They basically said this will probably be the last time we make a trip like this. We owe it to ourselves to learn what we can from this generation and to strive to make America better for the generation that we are currently in because of their sacrifice. I know I've said this a lot on this podcast, but I'm reminded of what Ben Franklin said when he said, when asked what the Continental Congress had actually accomplished, what have you given us, Mr. Franklin? And his answer is, we've given you a republic, if you can keep it. And today, as we struggle through partisan politics, the question still resounds, are we able to keep this republic? Are we able to be a people that puts others ahead of themselves? One other thing I noticed listening to this piece is that one of the gentlemen talked about enlisted in the service at 15 years old. Lied about his birthday and went to serve us and landed on the beaches of Normandy at 15 years old, possibly a little older, but it sounded like he landed there shortly after he was pressed into service, and he had the bravery and the courage to do it, and the desire to want to serve his country so bad that he was willing to lie about his date of birth in order to do it. I'm not advocating that anybody lie about their date of birth in the name of patriotism. All I am saying is that we need to have a similar attitude when it comes to defending our country and our freedoms and our families. One of the reasons that speaking for him exists is because I understand from the Bible our society is only as strong as the families in that society. And when we look at things like this in our history, when we commemorate things like D Day, we are reminded of the strength and resilience of America. We are reminded that our strength in America comes from having a moral compass that says we need to go and make right the wrongs. And that is the strength of D Day. And so I will always acknowledge it in days like it, and I will always seek to bring people back to our history. It has been said that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it, so we must be students of history. The Bible is largely a history book. And when you read the stories in the Bible, you read about flawed individuals who make mistakes. Why are those stories included in the Bible? They're included for our benefit so that we can learn and we can grow. Julie Hartman is a graduating senior at Harvard this year, and she caught the attention of Dennis Prager, and she now does a podcast with him. But part of the reason why she caught his attention is because she has a passion for America.
4: If we lose freedom in America, there is no place to escape to. This is the last stand on Earth. President Ronald Reagan. Last spring break, I went on a trip with a hundred other Harvard undergraduates to Israel. It was one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life, and I will always be grateful to Harvard for that. I recalled the trip with awe and joy, but a certain moment rattled me. Our group attended a Shabbat dinner at a Tel Aviv synagogue. The rabbi proclaimed, Welcome to Israel! You are all here from America, the best country in the world. He paused, but not a single person clapped. The Israelis stared in disbelief. Americans are the freest, most privileged people on earth. Yet many of us are ashamed to show any, even the tiniest trace of national pride. Why? Because we Americans of recent generations have been swaddled in prosperity and security and, in consequence, have become ungrateful for the blessings we enjoy. It requires vigorous, athletic imagination for most of us to consider the basic, brutal realities that much of the world experiences daily. Even worse, we have consumed a cultural diet that reduces America to its ugliest moments and dismisses its noble ideals and accomplishments as jingoism. This nation saved the world from global catastrophe three times in the 20th century. This nation has grown to treat racial, ethnic, and religious minorities with equality and respect compared to other places and times on earth. This is the nation where people are not constrained by their gender, religion, or class, but can work to achieve a better life. In this nation, We can criticize our government, secure in the knowledge that we will rise the next morning and our country will still respect our rights. We view these things to be our birthright, our permanent and guaranteed condition, but they are not. They exist only because past generations have sacrificed to secure and maintain them. And to our discredit, We have used these blessings not to strengthen our country, but to tear it down. We members of this university and we Americans have shirked our responsibility as the most privileged cohort on earth. We have remained cringingly silent in the face of corrosive ideas, woke culture, that has corrupted our institutions and severed the bonds that hold our country together. The New York Times won a Pulitzer Prize for reporting that the sole purpose of the American Revolution was to preserve slavery. And we remain silent. The Oregon Department of Education asserts that showing your work and finding the right answer in math is white supremacist. And we remain silent. The American Medical Association has stated that the U.S. should remove gender from birth certificates. And we remain silent. Howard Zinn, the author of the most widely read history text in American public schools, said that America has done, quote, more bad than good. And we remain silent.
0: This clip gives me hope for America. I'm so thankful for Julie, and other young people like her who are standing up for the truth. Now, as I've already said today, the truth of America is not that America is perfect, but the reality is, as D-Day shows us, that we are a shining city on a hill, and that we have fought for the defenseless in the past, and that if we are true to our ideals, we will continue to do so. But when we are at a place where, where we allow reputable publications to win awards based on the fact that the reason for America to be founded the way that it was, was to preserve slavery, when we allow our narrative... To be that finding the correct answer in math is an example of white privilege, that's a problem. This is, once again, why we need to have a firm grasp on history before us, so that we can realize that we need to take responsibility for our actions. And we need to realize how great America actually is. I just heard a story this morning about American immigrants who came over here and sought a better life and started a bakery during the pandemic and they're doing really well and thriving because they were willing to come here and work hard. America does not guarantee success to everyone that comes here. Let's get that straight. When we talk about the Declaration of Independence, we talk about the pursuit of happiness, not the guarantee. The opportunity for advancement, not the guarantee. But if you were to look through all the countries of the world, you wouldn't find a country with greater opportunities than what we have here in the United States. As she said in that piece, we have the freedom, at least right now, to criticize our government, to have open discussions about what's wrong and how to fix it, and go to bed and wake up secure in the knowledge that we have the right to speak as we believe and that that will be preserved and defended. That is unique in the countries in the world. And we need to be grateful for it. Before we get to our main segment, I just want to share with you one final clip. And this is a clip from the Laura Ingram show of her talking to the Border Patrol agent who was off duty at the time of the Uvalde shooting, telling his perspective of the events of that day.
5: Now, one week ago, off-duty U.S. Customs and Border Protection agent Jacob Alvarado, um, he started his day at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. He was at an award ceremony for his eight-year-old daughter, Jada. She's a second grader at the school. Well, shortly after the ceremony ended, he went to get a haircut. Well, that's when all hell broke loose. At 11.41 a.m., he got a text from his wife, Tricia, a fourth-grade teacher at the same school. There's an active shooter. Help. Love you. He immediately jumped up, started looking for a gun. The barber had one, I guess it was a shotgun, and together they raced toward the school. When Jacob arrived, he saw the chaos unfolding, and he knew he needed to get inside to bring his family and anyone else he could to safety. Jacob is here with me now exclusively, and I'll let him pick up from there. Jacob, what happened once you got to the school? How'd you get in?
6: Uh, I was trying to get to my wife's room. Um... My wife's been working there for seven going on eight years and I know the majority of the law enforcement there. So I just announced who I was and made my way towards my, my wife's room.
5: And what did you see when you went in?
6: As I went in, I just saw a whole bunch of kids running out, running, running off campus, jumping through the windows, cops breaking windows and just a complete chaos pretty much.
5: And you saw your daughter, and I know you gave her a big hug.
6: Yes. I mean, I had spoken with my wife on the phone. My wife had told me that she had already left her room. She was across the street at the funeral home. And from that point on, I went to go look for my daughter.
5: Now, on CNN today, Jake Tapper had a Secret Service agent on talking about this issue. Watch.
1: An off-duty CBP, Customs and Border Protection Agency, agent, was able to go inside the school on the day of the shooting other parents and other loved ones were standing outside the school at the time some of them even reportedly uh being handcuffed this is a a a clear example of the complete breakdown of the incident command structure the fact that the public was allowed to get so close to this critical incident site is shocking to me it breaks uh, all these protocols we have so many unanswered you know questions right now
5: Now, Jacob, um, I don't think you, the parents, and the protocol issues are are, are the overall problem here. Um, But, you know, the the implicit criticism from Tapper, you'll probably not be surprised to hear that. Maybe it's slight criticism. Maybe I'm making more of it than it should be. But that, you know, you got to get in there and that the other parents didn't. And you got to make sure your kid was okay, even though you were helping others uh, get out. Do you have a response to
6: that? Once again, I mean... It, it was just complete chaos. Everybody was concerned for their child. Uh, thankfully, like I said, I was off duty. Um, I've been born and raised in Uvalde for 42, going on 42 years. It's a small community. Everyone pretty much knows who I am. And like I said, my wife works there, so they all know who I was. So I was able to get on campus. And like I said, I wasn't just trying to save my child. I was trying to get as many people out of there as I could
0: let me first say that we don't know exactly why the police took as long as they did to act. I haven't heard any concrete reports about why that is. I'm just here today to say that Jacob is a hero. I am so glad that this man took the opportunity to respond to his wife's pleas for help and went into this situation and ran toward the danger for the help of his wife and his daughter and for other people involved. But I think it's a a misrepresentation to say that this is just a member of the general public. He said in this piece that he was known to the law enforcement in the area, that Uvalde's a small town, so most of the people there knew who he was, and that was part of the reason he was able to go into this situation. Not to mention the fact that he might have even looked less threatening to the shooter because he was off-duty and not a uniformed officer, which allowed him to intercede in the situation. And, again, there's so many details we don't know, but the one thing I do know is that we need heroes like that. We need people that are willing to jump into danger for those that they love. That is how we will have safety in this country. So many times it feels like the government says, Oh, don't worry, leave the safety to us. When the founders believed that this was a country by the people for the people and of the people. And so I believe that it is the responsibility of our country to empower the people to protect themselves not to insist that the people are unable to do so. And so I think it's so important for us to realize the distinction there and to be thankful for people like Jacob who, much like on 9 even though he was off duty, ran toward danger when others were running away from it. That's what sticks out to me. And I hope that if the situation called for it, that I would have a similar mindset uh, in being protective toward the people in my life, even though my physical abilities are limited. I'm thrilled to bring you the second half of my Jamie Freeman interview. I think you will find this very encouraging. And I trust that you will find something to apply to your daily walk with the Lord Jesus. Before we get into that, though, I want to share with you our quote of the day. And our quote of the day comes from Ephesians chapter 3 verse verses 20 and 21, where Paul writes, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that work given us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And this is something that we definitely touch on in this interview about how The great things that happen, the things that we are able to accomplish that have significance, they come through the power of Christ. And as I mentioned earlier, they come not from embracing our skill set, although skills are good to have, they rather come from embracing our weakness and realizing that through our weakness, God can make us strong. So without further ado, enjoy the balance of my conversation with Jamie Freeman. So now that you've written uh, two books, are you already ruminating on what could possibly be a
3: third? So I've, I've written a third manuscript. Um, it's a book on work ethic. Um, 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 what, what is, what is a, a biblical work ethic? And why is work ethic important for people that name the name of Christ?
0: That sounds intriguing as well. Well, I would encourage you to check out Jamie's books. I believe they're both on Amazon. Is that correct? Yes. I will definitely be checking them out and I would encourage my listeners to as well. Uh, if there are anything like this conversation has been, I'm sure they will be very encouraging to you. So what made you first think that maybe writing a book is something that you wanted or perhaps needed to
3: do? Well, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed, um, riding. Even when I was in school, um, riding came very naturally to me. And I've, 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 I've felt a call to preach since I was young. I mean, and actually, I've been being able to go and speak different places. When I was um, probably seventeen, eighteen years, oh, I, I began to travel and speech and preach the, the, the gospel. So for me, writing a book is just another way to preach the the gospel, whether we do it by 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 speaking or by writing. Um, all, my goal is to say I, I I'm going to preach the gospel and share things out of scripture that the Lord has really put on my heart and, and given me to share with, with other people.
0: That's awesome. And I have to say, I'm just super encouraged by all the parallels in our lives. Yeah. I think sometimes when you're walking a journey, you can feel like you're walking it alone. Yeah. And it's just so nice to talk to someone that can understand a lot of your struggles in a way that a lot of people cannot, even though they may empathize, they can't sympathize the way yeah. people can that have been through the same struggles. Yeah. The reason that you first came to my attention, Jamie, is that I read an article on the website, love what matters mm-hmm. about you particularly in pertaining to your work at a high school, which we have that in common as well, because I spent five years as a substitute teacher working at a Christian high school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So the the parallels continue. But can you tell me what what caused you to submit your story to Love What Matters?
3: So Love What Matters approached me and asked me to write, uh, call form. Um, there was no, so I'm a, a I, I do work at a high school as a, a, a janitor. By the way, I was a substitute teacher for 14 years. So there's another thing we have in, in common. But in 2019, I got a full-time job in maintenance. And so what I do is I take care of the football complex at at our local high school. And again, work ethics is a really big deal to me. And so these football boys got to know this handicapped guy who works like crazy and it really made an impact on them. Well, our football team won the state championship and meant these boys that they're not new people called teenage boys. So when they win the state championship and and that they get to older championship rings, that they tell the coach, hey, we want to order a ring for for Jamie. Now, they didn't tell me about this. So the day comes when they have a ring ceremony, and they go, Jamie, you need to come to the ring ceremony. Um, They said, we've got a, a, a ball cap for you. So I go to the ring ceremony thinking they're going to give me a ball cap. But at the ring ceremony they, they call my name. I go up front. There is a ball cap on the table. I I, I pick up the, the hat and there's a ring under the table. These boys bought me a, a state championship win, so it was really cool. So later that day, I post a picture of me with the ring on the Facebook, not thinking, I, I just thought it was really cool what these boys did. With that Facebook post, within a number of days, just go viral. And, and, and I, I've got, yes, that, that they share the post. And I think maybe the, the NFL and Fox and, and these big outlets have shared the, the post. And so I love what matters came to me and they, they go, can you write a, a story for us and we'll put it on on the, our, our website. And that's how the Love the, What Magic story came
0: about. Well, as I said, I'm really glad that it did, because that's how I discovered you. And I was really heartened by the fact that even though they are not a Christian website, your testimony came through loud and clear in the piece. They didn't yeah. sanitize it in any way. And so yeah. that really encouraged me. Um because some of their pieces are are not, are not definitely not centered on the gospel and the important things of life, but I'm so glad that they gave you that platform to share your story, and I'm glad that um, that post went viral because you've gotten a lot of opportunities because of it to share the gospel with more and more people. So how exciting must that be? It kind of shows that God is able... To do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think, right?
3: Absolutely, it, yeah.
0: It seems like you'd like to do everything big. Like you, you work for a high school football team and they win the state championship. You find a wife and he gives you five children. I mean, uh, your God, our God, does some pretty big things, right? He does, absolutely, absolutely. So, do you have a favorite Bible verse? A life verse, or maybe just one that you have been reflecting on lately?
3: Man, that's really hard. (laughs) Um, A favorite Bible verse. I don't know that I have one favorite Bible verse. Um, Where I've been lately is in Isaiah 64. And Isaiah's writing to Israel. And Isaiah asks Israel, who will rouse themselves to lay hold of God? And the way I've been that lately is one, not, not, not wanting to just become monotonous or routine in my life quote-unquote religious expression, but to rouse myself to really go after God in secret and lay hold of Him. That's one place I've I've been lately. Well, that's great.
0: You know, that really was the impetus behind Speaking for Him and then later the Speaking for Him podcast was just that I had a burden to see the church walk closer with the Lord Jesus and specifically to see that the church return to the blueprint of the family. Uh, a lot of the societal ills that we're seeing today in our culture are directly rooted to the fact that the foundation of society, the family, has been under attack for many, many years And now it's not even as subtle as it used to be in our country. Now it's blatant all out attacks. And so it's so important for us to stay in the families that God has placed us in and to, as you said, in, you know, writing a whole book on the issue of marriage being a testimony of Christ and how important that is. Satan hates marriage and he wants to see marriages fail and so it's so important for us when we approach marriage to do so in a serious way and i'm i'm so blessed to hear how god has blessed you and it makes me want to keep on keeping on sharing the truth with people about these important things because if we can't get back to the blueprint as the church uh then how can we expect the world to follow us and find peace in jesus
3: yeah That's- I mean, marriage is a big deal because marriage is a gospel issue. So when I, when I wrote that book about marriage, the, the main issue on my heart was marriage itself. The main issue was the gospel. And Satan attacked marriage. And Satan is attacking the family because, again, these these are gospel-centered issues. And Satan hates marriage because Satan hates the gospel. And so when we look at our own marriages as representing the gospel, that puts an appropriate weight on fidelity and on covenant, because, again, these are issues directly related to the gospel itself.
0: And I often think about that in regards to Uh, The pro-life issue, which is front and center in our culture right now as well, because we cannot expect the world to see the value in the unborn if we as the church don't see the value in the unborn. And I see so often that a lot of times have some people have similar rationales when it comes to children, if they were really honest with themselves, that the people who are. Getting abortions, do they just sanitize it a little more? But yeah, Jesus yeah. said, Let the little children come unto me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. So oh, that's a real burden on my heart. Um, and it's kind of sad how biblically illiterate some people that were born in Christian homes are. To me, it comes down to the bottom line that we were created in the image of God and after his likeness. And if you truly believe that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot in any form be for the abortion of the unborn.
3: I agree.
0: Yeah. So I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that it's the first of many. I'm excited to share this with my listeners. Thank you so much for taking the time. You kind of answered uh, this question when you were talking about your Bible verse, but As we close, do you have any uh, final thoughts that you want to express about what God is teaching you in this part of your life right now? You
3: know, the only thing I would ask, this has been a major thing in my own life lately, is learning, learning lean into weakness. Now, if everyone wants to be strong, everyone wants to put their best foot forward. Uh, but what the Lord really keeps bringing me back to is the way to the way to be strong in God is through the door of weakness. And, and I, I'm not strong in myself. And so when I let, when I let Christ be my strength, the scripture says he's, he's strong in my weakness. So when I avoid weakness, if, when I don't, when really come off as weak, I avoid the very attitude by which God manifests his strength. So we don't need to bring God our strength and try to come up as strong, but we need to bring to God our weakness and come to him humble and broken and weak and let him be our strength because God is not stagnant. God is moving. God is doing things in the earth right now, and and we can be a part of what God's doing in the earth if we humble ourselves, offer to Him our weakness, and then allow Him to clothe us in His.
0: It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier—that our infirmities aren't something to be shunned. Paul actually said, "I glory in my infirmities."
3: Yep, that's the—that's the
0: the totally opposite thing to what the world would say. The world would say, "Whatever my infirmity is, help me get rid of it as soon as possible." And we would tend to come to God with similar requests, and He's like, "No, I'm going to use your weakness." to manifest my strength through yeah. you. The way I often think about it is that God gives us tasks and then he makes it impossible for us to do them so that when he does them through us anyway, he gets the
3: credit. Yeah. Now, I, I, I have a, a bachelor's degree in, in theology. So I spent four years in college college, learning learning how to preach and share the gospel, and a lot of what you taught is how to have a skill set, how to hone your skill set, and and what I'm learning is God doesn't want your skill set. God wants your weakness. God wants your vulnerability. God, God wants you to, to come to the end of yourself, to the end of your skill sets. And when you become empty, then he can, he can fill you. And now you're really able to do the work of the kingdom because God only fills empty vessels. So if I'm full of my own skill sets or whatever, and I haven't been emptied yet, then I, I really don't understand what it is to be in ministry. Ministry is when God empties you, God empties you, then fills you with yourself, and then you go. In his power, power, his strength, and do the, the work of, of the kingdom. So get rid of the skill set. Be emptied before the Lord, and let his be what fills you. And again, he will be your strength. I think it's important,
0: as we close here, dear listeners, to remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees when he said, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you think that you're righteous, if you think that you have it all together, there's no way that God can help you. But if you come to God and you say with the Apostle Paul, there is nothing good in my flesh, then he can take your heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh and mold that heart into something that follows him. I'm also reminded of what the apostle Peter said when he encountered Jesus for, I think if it wasn't the first time, it was one of the early times that he encountered Jesus where Jesus asks to borrow his boat. And after Jesus preaches, Peter just, uh, after the, actually after the miraculous catch of fish, uh, Peter has seen Jesus preach I think at this point, and he has seen the miraculous catch of fish, and his immediate response is to fall down at Jesus' feet and say, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And it was at that moment that Jesus was able to say, now I can use you, Peter. Yeah. And he said, fear not, for you have been catching fish, but from now on you'll catch men. Yeah. So I just want to encourage everyone who's listening That if you are at the end of your rope, if you are at the bottom of the barrel or whatever phrase you want to put in there, that's great. Because that's where God wants you. Because if you're empty, as Jamie said, he can fill you up. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for being with us. And I feel like this is the start of a very wonderful new friendship. And I'm so thankful that we share the gospel and the blood of Christ in common. So thank thank you so much for being here today.
3: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Once again, Jamie, I really enjoyed having you on the show. We will have to do it again and maybe even have your wife on with you so I can hear more of that wonderful story of how you guys met and formed your marriage to the glory of God. But I was just super blessed. One of the things I want to touch on in the end here is just how Jamie talked about the difference between the man-made thoughts of success, which is focus on your skill set, hone your skill set, have your skill set ready, and God's mindset, which says, give me your weakness and then I will make something great from it. When we are weak, he is strong. And I know I've thrown out a few examples, but one final one is, Moses. If you read into the story of Moses, you find out that as a young man, of course, as a baby, he's adopted uh, by the Pharaoh's daughter and weaned by his mother. And we presume from the scriptures that his mother took time to talk to him about his heritage and made sure that he knew that he was a Hebrew because as he grew up in Egypt, then he realized that his fellow Hebrews were being oppressed and there's indication in Acts chapter 7 actually that he had some inkling of wanting to save them as a young man but was unable to do so for whatever reason and what happened is that God took him out of that situation. He chose to leave Egypt as Hebrews says rather than to experience the pleasures of sin for a season and then God leads him from one of the top places in Egypt to the back of a desert and has him serve as a shepherd for Jethro's sheep for 40 years. So he spent 40 years as a prince of Egypt. He spent 40 years on the back of a desert. And then God says, I have a calling for you, Moses, and that's to go back to Egypt to deliver my people Israel out of bondage. And Moses says, Lord, I can't do it. I'm slow of tongue. I can't do the thing that you call me to do. I've heard this saying from a pastor uh, a while back that I've never forgotten, and it's this, that Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, then 40 years learning that he was in fact a nobody, and then the final 40 years of his life learn that God can take a nobody and turn him into a somebody. So I think that sometimes God has to take us through refining and preparing us for our ultimate journey. And so I think that you can definitely see that in the scriptures and hopefully you can see God doing that in your own life. I just want to encourage you as I end today not to lean into your skill set, not to depend on yourself, but to give God your weakness and watch what he does with it. With that being said, I will simply say have a great week and keep serving the best of masters.